it is Adam, and we had the opportunity to speak with Damon Sharp over a Zoom video. Damon talks to us about where he was born and raised and how he got into music. He actually started in the dancing and acting world. He landed a role on the television show slash boy band. It was like a boy band comedy sketch television show that was on right after Saved by the Bell. It was called Guys Next Door. And that's when he really broke into the industry. He talked about that. He talked about the highs and lows of his career, kind of a, the roller coaster ride he's been on, writing for huge artists like Jennifer Lopez, Kelly Rowland, Big Time Rush, Ariana Grande. The list goes on and on. Damon also talks about how he has branched off as a solo artist and all about his brand new song called 15 Minutes. The music video for the song is absolutely hilarious. You have to check it out. He does an amazing job of kind of clowning on all the YouTube influencer, celebrity, social media world. It is really, really funny. It's called 15 Minutes, Damon Sharp. And you can watch our interview with Damon on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Damon Sharp. This podcast is about you and uh, your journey music, and we'll talk about the new song that you have. I love the video, man. I've watched it twice. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. It's super clever. The toy review and the cooking and just, and having uh, uh, Mario Lopez in it, like, that's solid, man. We'll talk about it too. Thank so, you, um, well, hey, Monica, off, I see you. I see you on there at the bottom. I just want to say hi, but I think you're muted. But hello. Hi. Hey. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So let's first off talk about where were you born and raised? Were you born in LA? Um, yeah, I was. Uh, not, I was actually born in Cleveland, Ohio, and oh, I only. That's lived, where my yeah, family's only, from. Oh, are you kidding? How crazy! Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, my my parents actually. When my mom was eight months pregnant with me, moved from. Cleveland to San Diego. <laughs> so I was oh, luckily funny. born in California, but yeah, uh, no, luckily I escaped. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you are born in Cleveland. How long were you in Cleveland? Yeah. I was only there from about like age seven up till about age seven. Okay. And then my parents just got tired of the freezing cold winters and the super humid summers and um, they're both teachers. So they transferred out to Arizona. So we were in Phoenix for about like call them like my formative teenage years, like mm -hmm. about 15. Okay. And, uh, and then, so obviously we went from miserable, like winters to like <laughs> miserable summers and super sure. in, in Phoenix, yeah. um, but, you know, around, you know, 13, 14 years old is when I kind of got the bug for, for dance and music and singing and all that sort of stuff. I saw the movie break in when I was a kid and that kind of like sucked me into a world of dance and music. And I was like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, so my parents uh, took me to like a, luckily I got, they took me to some local dance studio that they just kind of found at the yellow, in the yellow pages at that point, you know, and it was just a super cool luck of the draw where, you know, it just so happened that her name was Julie Wren. She was the owner of the studio and it was like one of the prominent kind of dance studios in the Phoenix area. And we just didn't know. We just got lucky. Oh, wow. And, uh, I went in to take the break dance lessons. And uh, after I came out, the Julie who owned the studio came over and she's like, she said, can I talk to you for a second? And I'm like, okay, sure. She goes, have you ever thought about taking jazz dancing? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I think jazz dancing, that's more for girls. I don't, I don't think that's something I'd want to do. And she's like, come with me. And she takes my hand. She walks me over to, you know, the, the glass window where all the girls were taking jazz. And she's like, do you see all those girls in there? I was like, yeah. And she's like, if you take this class, you get to talk to all those girls. And I was like, 
I'm in. Sold. <laughs> yeah, I was sold. I mean, at that point, I was like a kid with like, uh, I had like a the snaggle tooth, like from Dumb and Dumber. I had the broken tooth. I had glasses <laughs> with the tape. I had the parted hair. Like, I oh, was just awesome. like in desperate need of a, a makeover. But, you know, so for me, I, I couldn't even... Start, I didn't even know how to start a conversation with a girl. Right. You know, so when that, when that door opened, um, it also weirdly opened a love for me of movement and dance. And, you know, I got sucked into that world and, and it really kind of started ingraining the music, the, my musicology in me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did that. And then I started doing competitive dancing and that's what kind of started slowly bringing me out to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came out for, at one point, I think this is when I'm like 14, 15. I just said to my mom, I said, Hey, I would really love to do this for a living. I, I love, dancing. I love singing. I love acting. It was kind of all over the place at that point, but mm-hmm. um, kind of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And I'm like, can we try maybe a summer out in California? And my parents are like, you know what, if this is what you want to do, then we'll try it. And I came out here with my mom and I was fortunate. I just started booking stuff. I booked like a Disneyland commercial and then I booked an Nintendo wow. commercial and then I booked a, a tour as a backup dancer. And it just all kind of started manifesting really fast. So at that point, my parents were like, you know what, let's, let's move to LA. You know, so they mm-hmm. moved to LA for me so I could pursue my career. And they, they both found jobs at great schools out here that they just retired from, but they were both oh, wow. at their permitted jobs for about 30 years each. Um, and they just retired, but um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a, it was a pretty cool thing, you know, that I owed them everything that they, that they moved out to LA. So then it just kind of started moving pretty fast. You know, I did the tour, I came back. Who did you um, tour with if, if you don't mind me asking? Oh yeah. No. Do you remember the guy, remember the uh, boy band, new kids on the block? Oh yeah, of course. You toured with them? No, well, I toured with them, but I was technically a backup dancer for a singer named Tiffany, who was kind of like the Britney Spears. Of oh, the I remember early, Tiffany too. Yeah, late actually, yeah, that's, yeah. So yeah, we did totally. that world tour for like four months, and really, where'd you, you know, get to go? All around the whole world? It was all, it was all U.S., but we oh, did okay. like a, I think it was like a forty-city tour. But you oh, know, I'm a 15, I'm a fifteen-year-old kid, you know, with no parents. We had one guardian, so we just <laughs> we we partied it up. You know what Lived I mean? It up. Yeah, <laughs> and it's course. funny because I'm actually I'm actually still buddies with the guys from New Kids and Tiffany, and and then it came full circle maybe about three years ago mm-hmm. um i ended up producing and writing for their album for their ep oh wow and then, and then, yeah so jonathan's like damon come on out come out to uh come see us play in vegas and i go out and it's freaking t-mobile arena you know they they still sell out like massive venues oh, of course you know, man they're, i mean they're huge crazy. they're like the biggest they're they started that whole yep. thing i mean yep. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, so crazy that's so, that so was crazy cool. And then, you know, right after that, a few months later, I booked a, a pilot for NBC called The Boys Next Door, which was essentially kind of a ripoff of New Kids on the Block, right? Bo- uh-huh. New Kids on the Block, Boys Next Door. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we did the pilot presentation. We shot it over like a period of three days. And then NBC picked it up. Within a month, it was picked up. Um, we went to series. I was on that show for about a year and a half. Um, we were on right after Saved by the Bell on Saturday mornings on NBC for about a year and a half. And really? it up, yeah, it ended up becoming the guys next door. They changed the title. And, you know, we were on like teen magazines and we had our own board game. We had dolls. We had, you know, the whole spiel. It literally blew up overnight. Right. And for about a year and a half, you know, at that time it was like NBC, CBS, ABC and Fox. Right. And there was right. Cable, but it would, if you were on a major network, it was like a big deal. Right. So sure. We became household names. And then sure enough, fast forward like a year and a half later, you know, the TV show got canceled out of nowhere. We had a record deal with EMI. That record deal got repealed. So I literally went from like being on the cover of teen magazines and, and doing autograph signings for 5,000 people to boom, being on unemployment. 
you know, going from taking pictures with Will Smith as a peer to two years later serving Will Smith a Pepsi as a waiter. So oh man. It was, like, it was an incredible life lesson for me. And I'm so happy I went through it early on in my life. Um, because then, you know, you know, when I had a, you know, I, after that, I kind of went through some dark times. To, to, oh, you know, I, to can't, I can't like, imagine. Yeah. You know, like, I think at that point, I was like 17. And it's like to experience that and then just have it taken away was devastating. I mean, it's, it's what needed to happen for uh-huh. my ego, like that needed to happen. Um, but, you know, I went through a few, a few rough years and, and then I finally just, I don't even know what the epiphany moment was, but I was just like, you know what, stop listening to these dark voices, you know, shake it off. And then I, you know, I went, that's when I started, you know, working again, waiting tables. Um, I, I went back to school for music. I got a new agent. And sure enough, as I started putting in the work, you know, things started to manifest, you know? And so mm-hmm. I started booking commercials again and doing guest spots and all sorts of different things. And then a little bit after that, I met my mentor, uh, a guy by the name of Rick Wake, who, who huge Grammy award-winning producer who kind of took me under his wing and put me in yet another boy band. Um, which ironically, the, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because the band was called Unheard Of. And oh. <laughs> it, never, it never came out. So unfortunately, the name kind of sealed our fate. Um, but, but it was the best thing that could have happened for me because I spent literally three years of my life in this boy band going from label to label. But at the time, Rick had all the biggest producers and songwriters signed to him. So I would be in the studio just hovering over these guys, like learning whatever I could, trying to be in the mix and learning how to produce and songwrite. Um, and at the end of those three years, you know, we got offered another record deal by Warner Brothers because we had been picked, signed and dropped and signed mm-hmm. and dropped. It was just this up and down roller coaster, right? Um, so we get offered this last final deal with Warner Brothers. And, you know, they're offering us like 25 grand a piece to sign. And you wow. know, on paper, it looks great, right? And at the time, mm-hmm. I really needed the money. Um, but something in my heart, it didn't feel like the right journey for me at that point, as cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember getting on the call and, and kind of, being a little freaked out and saying, Hey guys, I hope you're not mad, but I just don't feel like this is the next step for me in, in my career and in my life. And then weirdly enough, one of the other members jumped in and said, you know what? I agree. I, I, I also don't want to do this. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it was weird. So we so all you didn't have to be the guy to sink the ship. I mean, yeah, that's good. I, know, yeah. I didn't want to be, but I, I, at that yeah. point, after three years of doing that, I, I just knew it wasn't the right situation. Um, and you know, weirdly enough, I went into another free fall moment. So yet again, now I'm on unemployment again, broke again, trying to, you know, trying to pay my bills and just hustling and waiting tables and trying to make things work. And, you know, about a couple months later, I, I get a random call out of nowhere from Rick, my mentor. And he's like, dude, I found this, you know, this CD of songs on my desk. And he's like, there's some really cool songs on there. He's like, you wrote these songs. And I was like, yeah, man, I've been telling you for the past few years, I really want to produce a ride. But you always looked at me as like the cheesy boy band kid. And, and he's like, well, he goes, if you work with me as a writer, it's a whole different thing. He's like, you should come work with me. And I'm like, I don't know, man, it was three years. Things didn't manifest. He's like, I'll tell you what, let me just push, let me go pitch these songs and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. So I just hang up the phone back to business as usual, just struggling to pay my bills. You know, it's still creating, trying to trying to make things happen. Any penny I was making from waiting tables, I was, you know, doing demos and interning at studios, anything I could do, right? Mm-hmm. So about a month later, I get a call, not from Rick, but from a friend of mine. Oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me rewind. I do get a call from Rick about a month later. And he's like, hey, I got a couple of your songs cut. And I'm like, cool. Okay. And I really didn't understand at that time what that meant, right? I didn't understand right. the gravity of it. And he's like, do you know who uh, Jennifer Lopez is? I was like, yeah, of course. She wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't J-Lo yet. I mean, she was Jennifer Lopez. She had done like, if you had my love and Selena, but she wasn't mm-hmm. iconic yet. Right. 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 I was, like, yeah. I was like, of course I love her. I think she's great. Um, and he goes, well, she wants to cut your song. Why'd you lie to me? 
And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, do you know who Anastasia is? And I was like, no, I don't. He goes, well, she's blowing up internationally. She wants to cut your song, Love No Cost Thing. I'm like, oh, this is great. And he's like, all right, I'm going to get back to you again. Hang up the phone again, back to business. I'm probably never going to hear back. Right. So sure enough, in like a month or two passes by, I get a really random call from one of my friends who interning at a label. And she's like, Damon, did you write a song for Jennifer Lopez? And I'm like, uh, I think so, maybe. And she's like, well, go right now to a newsstand, get R&R magazine, flip it over and look at the back. So I'm like, what's going on? So I drive to the newsstand, I flip it over. It's R&R magazine, Radio and Records magazine, which is like a, an industry. Yeah, industry magazine. Bible or whatever. Yeah, it's like right, the, right. flipped it over. And sure enough, on the back, there's the iconic picture of J-Lo with her midriff. And I'm like my song, like, like love don't cost a thing. So I call Rick and he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, I didn't want to jinx it, you know, but, but, you know, the songs exchanged hands went from Jennifer, not wanting it to it making the record to becoming the first single in a matter of days. So that came out, obviously went to number one, blew up for me. Um, Anastasia, ironically, a lot of people in the States don't know her, but she ended up selling about 40 million records internationally as well. And I've worked with really? her, her entire career. So wow. once, once those kind of connected, um, and that was almost 20 years ago. And now it's just, has not, has not stopped. And I've just, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with, you know, everybody from like Ariana Grande to Pitbull to John Legend, mm -hmm. all, all sorts of people. And I'm so blessed. And um, wow. you know, there's other things I'm leaving out and I'm, hopefully you'll have good questions to kind of pull it out. Yeah, no, no, no. Wow. That is crazy, man. Okay. So yeah, yeah. you literally went from, you know, superstar and then you kind of had, got pulled back down and then you went up a little bit and then pulled back down. And then once you... Once Jennifer Lopez, I mean, Love Don't Cost the Thing is a gigantic hit. I mean, you could just yeah. say that you could just say that sentence and like the, the you know, the melody just comes in your head. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. When that song like was from that point on, was it like now you're you're able to probably get work and and yeah, and, how, and how do you follow that up? Like, are you like. Well, I was fortunate. I had Rick, you know, who who was mentoring me and I was under his wing and, and, a, and a great publisher named Susan. So the two of them just would help parlay that into more opportunities, putting mm -hmm. me in with other artists, um, you know, and, and, and just partnering me with the right people to, to, to keep the momentum going. You know, and, and that's we'll probably get into this a little later in the podcast. But, you know, that's the one thing I really learned was when you have a open a window open like that you have to optimize it because the window is only so wide, right? I'm saying for like mass momentum, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously I still have credits that I can be like, oh cool, I worked on this, this, and this. And people are like, all right, let's get in. But there's one thing to be said about having, right when that thing connects, you're so in demand. Like uh -huh. you just have to, you just have to grind it out. So whenever I've had those, I call them catalyst moments. Whenever those catalyst moments come along, I just try now not to, I'm like, all right, I'm not sleeping. I'm grinding this out until that window kind of just, Shuts a little because it's always no matter. I mean, even Timberland and Pharrell, like these guys, even have even had cold spells. Like it just oh sure, it's a roller coaster. It goes up and down. So you're still gonna, you know, be, I'm fortunate that I can still be here doing what I love to do. But you know, it's still a roller coaster. I'm still gonna get a thousand no's before I get a yes. You know, it doesn't matter how big my discography gets. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a funny business. I always use the analogy of I use George Lucas as as kind of the archetype. It's like if George Lucas had just done Star Wars, right? People, even if he never did another film, people would be like, oh, that's George Lucas. He did Star Wars. And it would right. be a big deal. In music, they're very jaded. So somebody would be like, oh, he didn't love the costume. When was that? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's, it's such a weird, it's such a weird business. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I kind of just use that fuel. I use that as like fuel for my fire. If anybody kind of gets condescending or sarcastic or whatever, they, or they're not keeping up with what I'm doing now, you know, I'm just like, okay. And then I just, I just know I have to continually keep 
you know, proving myself and, and just, and just outworking everybody. It's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like music is one industry that you really, that it really, like you said, it doesn't really continue on like, Oh, you had that one hit, like whatever. And it's like, in the same sense, like also with like musicians that have like parents that are an artist, it's like, Oh, well, you're only famous because your dad was a blah, blah, blah. It's like, right, it's, right. and like, or if it's like an athlete, it doesn't matter. Like, Oh, his dad was, you know, Kirby Puckett or whatever, you know right, what I mean? Right, right, but right. it's, it's just so different in the music industry. Um, do you feel like once you had, you know, love don't cost this thing is a, this huge hit. And you said that you had this demo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, like the demos there and those songs are out and they got cut by whoever wanted to cut them. And then now you have the song and you're in demand. Are you like overwhelmed? Are you worried that you're not going to be able to follow that up? Like, what are you, what are you feeling at that moment? I mean, I think that's human nature, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. I still have moments like that when every time I put a release out, whether it's on someone that I produced and wrote, or it's someone that I'm helping develop, or it's my own, you know, DJ project on Armada. Like I'm always like, Oh God, how is this going to do? How's it going to perform? But I've kind of gotten to a point where, as long as I feel good about the work that I've done and I've put 110% into it, mm-hmm. at some point, I, I, you know, I still call them song babies, but like every time you hand over a song baby, you, you don't know how it's going to grow up, right? So, but you've got to like, I used to be so precious and I was like, oh, that's my baby. I can't put it out there. Now I'm like, you know what? Boom, here's a baby for you. Here's a baby, because one of those is going <laughs> to be a successful adult, right? Sure. So, you know, but yeah, I think that fear is always there, you know, and I think no matter what, anybody who says that they don't get caught up in the FOMO of social media and don't get caught up in the competitiveness, I think they're lying or at least lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try, I do my best to maintain a healthy mentality and not get suckered into down that rabbit hole because it's very easy. Oh, so why are they in with, why am I not in with them? And, oh, I only got 50,000 streams. Why am I not at 60,000 streams? And, you know, it, it seems to be like, no matter what rung of success, you get to, you're still kind of um, challenging yourself and never, never quite. It's so funny. Like, sorry, I like to I jump around a bit, but no, dude, this is awesome. I, I <laughs> it's all about you. Around. No one cares I was, what I have I was, to say. Or, no, it's awesome. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> I had a, a really cool sit down with, with, with David Foster. Um, okay. Yeah, I know David. With my very dear friend, Hillary Roberts, who's a client, an amazing artist in her own right. Um, and we had a, like a, a luncheon with him and it ended up going, it was only supposed to be an hour and it went for like three hours. And one of the things that really resonated with me that he said was, he goes, Damon, there's a day, he's not a day that goes by that I don't wake up, look at myself in the mirror and go, are people going to think I'm a fraud? And I'm like, this is the guy who is an insane musician, like mm-hmm. literally a, 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 a wall full of Grammys, like hundreds of millions of records sold. And even he still has insecurities and is, you know, and, and has those, those, what I call the dark voices trying to, you know, get into his head. So, you know, it just really puts things into perspective. And, you know, I try to, when I get caught up in things and things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I try to look at the positive things. I meditate. I've really made a focus the past three to five years on balance. So I make my family important. I make my Mm -hmm. friends important. Of course, work is important, but it's not everything. But I would say the first, gosh, seven to 10 years of success I had, I had no life. I was just always, even I would travel. I would go to like, for example, I remember going to Sweden, right? For the very first time. And this is like one of the first times I ever traveled outside of the country. And instead of going and like checking stuff out and seeing the country, I just hold up in the studio for like a week. And my friend, Lindy Robbins, at, you know, at the time, amazing songwriter, one of my best friends, she, she was there with me and she's like, Damon, let's go, let's go, you know, let's go explore the country. And I was like, oh no, I gotta be in the studio. And then my point to that is, you know, I learned 
if you don't have some sort of balance in your life, A, you're not going to be happy, but B, as a creator, what are you going to talk about? You know what I mean? You're, you're not refilling your creative wealth. You're just always in the studio and you're not living life. You're not experiencing things. What can you even talk about? You know what I mean? Otherwise you're just, you're just pulling from stories that are out in, in the, you know, out in the ether and you just, they can't resonate the same way, in my opinion. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, do you feel like, well, you go to Sweden, right? And, and obviously that's Max Martin and these massive hits are coming out of there, especially in the late nineties to early two thousands. Do you feel like you wanted to just soak that up or like, um, no, I just think, I think it's that kind of weird fear that, that the music business instills in you is that if you're not working out, working everybody that you won't be relevant. You won't be able to support yourself in the music business, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's a little bit of a fear thing that a lot of that we all subscribe to. And like I said, I've, I've been really trying over the past three to five years to not buy into that. And I, I just think for me, from an output standpoint, from a pure like life happiness standpoint, it's been a game changer. You know what I mean? Just eliminating the fear and the pride from the equation was huge for me. That was huge because we so operate from a place of fear, whether or not we want to believe it. We also operate from a place of pride, especially in the music business, because everybody is just so judgmental um, and they can be so jaded, you know? So it's like, I, I've just been trying not to buy into that. And, you know, it, it's funny how it kind of took me from, you know, I've, I've always just been behind the scenes for the past, you know, ever since I stopped doing the artist thing. And then a few years ago, my attorney at Shapiro was one of my best friends. He was like, dude, he's like, why are you not, doing an artist thing. I was like, Oh, I've been doing this too long. People are going to think this and I'm too old. And he's like, no, he's like, you, you're, you're good. You're great. He's like, you need to put it out there. He's like, who cares what everybody thinks. And the minute that I kind of subscribed to that, all of a sudden things just started falling on my plate again. I started doing all these little EDM features with all these big artists. And then uh, our model records started taking notice and, you know, 10, 15 releases later, our models like, look, why are you not releasing? I know you're doing co-artist things here. Why are you not releasing your own music? Mm -hmm. um, so then I just put a hyper focus on, you know, DJing again and getting really familiar on CDJs and getting myself in that kind of headspace. And now I'm, you know, 60 million streams as an artist outside yeah. of my hundreds of millions of streams as a producer and a writer. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a fun, cool place to arrive at, you know, when you think that kind of that you think that window is closed. It's it's not, you know, it's mm -hmm. just it's, just, it's our it's in our minds that it's closed. Mm hmm. Yeah, because it's when you get to a certain place, you want to stay there. And it's not like it's different. I mean, life is different now. I mean, it's like people have that mindset where like, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to work at this job for the rest of my life. And then like, like our parents generation, that was kind of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, you said, yeah. your parents were the teachers for 30 years and then they retired yeah, yeah. and that was life. But it, and in the entertainment music side of things, it's like you can lose you can lose it real quick. And then yeah. now what? You don't have any like back like you can't just fall back. And if you get signed to a label, it isn't like, okay, we're going to cut you a check every month for this much money. And you're yeah. going to be able to do, try to just try to write some hits. It's like, when you don't, you don't, and that's it. And your livelihood's gone. And you know, what's crazy. I don't know if, I don't know if you know kind of what the stats are, Adam, but I'll, I'll tell you, this is freaking nuts. So the success rate for an artist, for a signed artist, not just an artist trying to make it right. The millions of people are trying to make it. It's 4%. 4% success really? rate for a signed artist. So that means if a label signs a hundred artists, only four of them will be successful. Now, obviously everybody's definition of success is different, right? So if I, I consider myself, as long as I can support myself and my family and live mm -hmm. the lifestyle I want to live, that's success to me. Oh, I don't yeah. have to be on the Kiss FM billboard with Bieber to consider that success. Does that make sure. sense? I no, I, and I completely agree with you. But yeah, if that's, you can sustain your life doing what you love to do, that's, that's success. Yeah. And my, I get to, I support my wife and my daughter and, 
you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's insane to think 4% of signed yeah. artists yeah, because people, people are just like, dying to get signed. And then they think they, uh, somebody told me, um, Anthony from this band called Bayside told me when I interviewed him once and he said, getting a record day, like a record deal, isn't, you know, like making it, it's basically nope. you've finally, like you'll, he basically said, you'll never arrive. Like you'll get there, you'll get on the label. And then now it's like, okay, now you're at the, you're, here's a seat at the table. What are you going to do now? And I think I will say this one thing I will say on a positive note is now because of the internet and because of all these platforms, it's actually allows you to do a lot more than artists could even like, let's say five years ago, especially mm-hmm. 10 years ago, 10 years ago, you would have to go and spend a fortune to go into a studio. You'd have to self-finance like a video. You have to do all these things to get notice of a label. And then you had no platform to promote it, right? Then you mm-hmm. needed the label to be the bank and to get it out there. Now you can get it started, get your Spotify streaming, get some, you know, get some, uh, you know, some followers on Instagram or TikTok or whatever that is. Um, there's so many ways to kind of DIY and at least get the train moving. And then now the labels just want to jump on that moving train. So mm-hmm. weirdly enough, there's more ways to do it, but I feel like there's almost, you almost have to do even more legwork now. So it's like, I tell artists, I'm like, if you're going to go in and get a record deal, if that's your end goal, you better check off all the boxes before you walk into that label. Cause the label is essentially just going to be a big bank at that point. Cause they're mm-hmm. going to be able to like Macklemore is a great example. He did it indie, but not really the way that he took it to the next level was he partnered with a major label. Then they distributed, they gave him radio promo. They put money behind it. So it could take the success that he had and take it to the next, you know, like NF is a good, I mean, there's a mm-hmm. ton of them. There. Right. 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 You know, yeah. So it's like, you still have to kind of build, it's like a build it and they will come mentality. You know sure. I mean? That's totally it. Especially nowadays. Cause labels can see, in real time, like what you're doing, like they can go, yeah, Oh yeah, yeah, that's a cool no. song. Let me see if anyone else cares. Oh, it's right, got right. <laughs> 700 plays. I guess no, no. one does, yeah. but it's like yeah. crazy. Like, I mean, you're in, in the more of the world of, of, you know, producing, writing songs and being around these people. I'm just curious to know, do you feel like record labels are in the business of developing talent anymore? Or is it, they kind of look more at the streams yeah. and, yeah, I hate I hate to say it. I, I haven't seen a lot of true A and Ring in the past three to five years. You know, mm-hmm. they'd much rather find somebody, like I said, who's already got their sound, already has their look, already has X amount of streams, followers. Like they kind of want everything laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, it I, makes I, sense. I mean, like why why invest in because now they can just invest in something that they already see success in. Yeah, but to me, that's not as fun. I don't know. Like I, I, I've always helped develop other artists and I've, I've had three or four artists that I've developed and gotten signed to majors. Um, and it's just a fun process. You know what I mean? Like I think true a and is an art, you know, helping people find their sound, finding those songs, getting the look together, the, you know, the visual. I mean, there's so many aspects that tie into it. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to see some of that come back. And there's some, there's some labels that are great at it, but I would say the majority, unfortunately, they're just, they're just kind of looking at analytics. And, and like you said, just, They'll, they'll sign a completely untalented, you know, influencer who just because they have 10 million followers or whatever, or a video that goes viral, but there's, there's like zero talent there. And then the reason why it never goes any further is because they don't have a proper foundation, right? Because there was no development. So even in the artist's defense, like they're getting thrown in front of a huge crowd. They've never been on a stage. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to sustain that? And, you know, they might've just got lucky making this catchy 60 second TikTok record that catches fire. But if you don't have a body of work to follow that up, it's just going to crash and burn, you know? Well, a lot of these artists that are getting signed now, especially over the course of the past year and a half, where, where you know, a lot of the success is coming from 
TikTok or SoundCloud or whatever, they haven't even played a show. They haven't even played in front Correct. of people. Correct. Which Correct. blows my mind. Like, yep. Yep. um, I, I, a good example I can think of, I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but I, he talks about it in the podcast I did with him is Pal Fu. He had mm -hmm. that huge song, you know, mm -hmm. um, he told me that he, the first, he was supposed to play a show, his first show ever, like in, uh, I think he was in New Mexico or Texas or something. And it got canceled because of COVID. So he has never even played a song. And he has that coffee for your head song that has whatever million you know, yep. plays. Yep. And he's, yep. he's got a huge following and he has more records that are huge than that one. But to, to blow up over the course of the past year and a half and not even had the experience playing in yep. front of even 50 people. Yep. Yep. It's weird. It's just yep. so weird. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess right now, I mean, it's kind of the time for that because no one, I mean, hopefully sooner than later, it'll all open up again. But right now, I mean, yeah. they can kind of put their money into something yeah. that's not having to do any live shows. Um, I want to back up real quick to something you yeah. said earlier about, um, you know, having your baby and giving you're like, now you're like, you have a baby. And you, yeah. like, when did you realize, like, I'm sure you have always wrote songs for yourself that you didn't want to pitch. Is that true? Yeah. yeah, but I would, I would never kind of hold them tight. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's been a few, like even, um, paid my dues that I wrote with Anastasia. Like that was kind of a concept that resonated with me just because I had been through, you know, years of paying dues. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, I was just so hyper-focused on writing for, with, with and for other artists. I was like, you know, and, the, and we just kind of aligned and saw eye to eye on that one. So that one came together. Um, but yeah, now that, now that I'm signed to Armada, it's a great opportunity for me to write things that have a personal message that resonates with me and put them out into the world, which is really cool. That is awesome. So do you feel like now when you write a song, you could either... Like, do you write a song now and you're like, okay, I'm not going to try to show this to anyone. I'm going to keep um, this for myself. I, mean, there's been a few. I try not to be too precious about it. I mean, the good news is in the world of EDM, if I'm pitching it within that world, I can always be a co-artist or a featuring artist on it. And then I still get to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so like, for example, I did a record called Lifetime uh, with Zonderling and Josh Cumby and myself on it. And uh, it was a super personal record, but you know, it's still, it was able to go on there. And we're, I think we're already at, we're closing in on like 14 million streams on it already. So it's done well, you know what I mean? And I don't know if I would have reached 14 million streams on my own, but, you know, partnering up with those guys allowed it to reach a bigger audience. And, you know, it still remains a personal message, but, you know, I can, I can partner up with people and get that and get that one out there, you know, co-parenting. <laughs> co-parenting. I like that. <laughs> well, you have a new song, um, 15 minutes, and we were talking about the video and how awesome the video is. Well, I want to hear about the song first. So this is part of your artist project, but you still have a feature on there, right? Disco Fries? I do, I do, yes, okay. I, did, I did the record with Disco Fries and uh, actually the vocalist on it is a, is a guy by the name of Kimo Franklin who I work with all the time. He's amazing. He's also on a record that I did with Gattuso called When in Rome that we're at about 45 million on now. Jeez. So, you know, we have we seem to have good, we seem to have good luck together working on records. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 15 minutes was funny. It was one of those things where I kind of just had the loose concept of, you know, 15 minutes of fame, the Andy Warhol saying, you know, in the future, uh -huh everybody will have, you know, their 15 minutes of fame. And I thought it was a funny concept, but I threw it out to Kimo and Rick and, and they were like, Oh, that's a great concept, but let's, let's figure out how to make it universal. And, you know, immediately kind of, you know, Rick started playing some really cool chords that kind of complemented the concept. And then Kimo started with some melodies and we wrote it really fast and we never intended it to necessarily be a record for me. It was just kind of something we were writing at one point. We were like, maybe this could be a cool K-pop record, you know, cause I do a lot of, lot of K-pop and J-pop. And then uh, on a whim, I sent it over to Disco Fries. And I was like, what do you guys think about this? And, and Nick was like, oh my God, I love it. Let me send it to Danny. And then they jumped on and took the production to a whole new level. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then Armada loved it and said, let's put it out. And I already, I always kind of had the vision for the video of what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I was talking to my friend, Eli Sokin, who's an amazing director. And uh, he's like, oh, brother, I love it. I love the concept. He's like, let me, let me just flesh it out. So I sent him kind of my basic treatment and he went in on it. We tweaked it out and we shot some footage and then we got it back and we started into the editing. And it was just the narrative was not there. Right. So I was like, all right, let's shoot some more footage. So I flew to Vegas um, to do some stuff at Disco Fries because they were performing at Area 15. So I jumped up on stage with them. We performed it for the first time um, in front of about a few thousand people. So that was awesome. We were able to capture wow. the video um, and then also capture some funny footage and then came back, still didn't feel like we had it. So I did a third day of shooting here in LA and then it magically started to finally, the narrative started taking shape. Obviously, because we could see as we were going what we were missing in the narrative, you know, the bits mm -hmm. and pieces. Um, so yeah, so, so that, that's kind of how it all came together. And, and Mario Lopez, I've known for forever, you know, I've known him since the Saved by the Del Bell, uh, days. We yeah. did a really bad, we did a really terrible, like, I wouldn't even call it a B movie. I'd call it like a D movie back in the nineties called Journey Absolution together. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Which is, which <laughs> that's right. Absolutely God awful. It's like a Skinamax. Like you see it at like two in the morning. <laughs> like we're all, we're all in, we're all like cyborgs in the future in like our Calvin Klein underwear. Like it's just. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's, 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 I, actually did, I actually did his podcast on the, on the air with Mario, like a re, his real podcast. And then we did a fake podcast for my video. So the footage you see of me in the fur coat. Oh yeah. Kind of yeah, like yeah. A fake interview, but I did okay. the role with him and we were talking about how we met way back in the day through that and then how we did the movie he was trying to pretend like he didn't remember at first and his producer of his show was like oh no we've seen the journey absolution it was pretty funny yeah that is so funny the music video you guys did is so hilarious like Thank the you. the you said you have a, a daughter is that what you mentioned I earlier do. I do. she's in there yeah charlie yeah she's in there oh is she the one on the ipad yes okay like i have a five-year-old son and like I was watching that just dying because that's all he watches like all day is just YouTube kids and like just this yep. random garbage of yep. adults that, that was, playing with toys. And like, yep. I'm like, this is so weird and creepy and kind of fascinating to you <laughs> for some reason. And yeah. uh, like that fact that you grabbed all those like moments was so hilarious. Like you were spot on with that. It was right. so funny. <laughs> I, I also didn't want it to be like re relevant TikTok like challenges. I was like, let's think of the most dated kind of common you know, viral moments. And it was funny because uh, Joe Isco, who played uh, Tommy Fertel in the video in the beginning, mm -hmm. he's like a legendary record promoter, but he's like 70 something now. So he doesn't really know what, you know, what is out there. So I, when we were, we had to feed him the viral moments. He didn't know what back at it again with the white fans was. He didn't know what I like. He didn't know what any of those moments were. So it made it even more authentic because we we're like, okay, say back at it again with, uh, you know, da hey, Daniel back at it again with white fan. He's like back at it again with a white van. And we're like, yeah, and he's like, TikTok. I mean, these well, well, yeah. also, because, also because label a lot of label guys are notorious for that. They just chase whatever they think is relevant, and half the time it's dated. So they'll be right. like, hey, we want to sign the next Billie Eilish. And you're like, bro, you're like a year too late for that. You know what I mean? Right. They, all, they all want to chase it. And it's always like these dated references. So I, I really just wanted to be, you know, kind of funny and also self-deprecating on myself. And because I, I always appreciate that when I see people who are willing to poke fun at, them, fun at themselves, I think it makes you more approachable and, and, and more likable, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. And yeah, because in the video, you're not to spoil it for everybody. Yeah. But you you gain all the success from from your viral videos and then you kind of start you peak and then you kind of drop yep. right I turned into, into a total dick which is what I did when I was like you know 15 16 years old when I was in my first boy band so it's just it's kind of it's kind of uh art imitating life 
you know, as uh-huh. opposed to life imitating art. So <laughs> it's just fun. And, you know, for me, it's like, even just the concept of 15 minutes for me, I feel like I've been able to kind of reset the clock a few times and I'm mm-hmm. just going to keep, I'm just going to keep doing that. You know, my, my, my buddy, Jeremy scholar, he said at one point I was, I saw him, we were out and about, I just saw him randomly at a restaurant. He was with someone and, and he's like, yeah, Damon, you don't, you don't know Damon. Oh yeah. He's the king of reinvention. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this. So, Because at first I didn't really get what he meant, but then I started looking at all the chapters of my career and I'm like, holy crap, he's right. Like it's because, I think it's just because I'm open to things. Like I, um, I kind of liken it to like, remember when you're a kid and you have the Hot Wheels cars mm-hmm. and there's like the three tracks and at some point oh, yeah. together, mm-hmm. I think some of my peers over the years were so focused on just looking at that main lane and it gets congested, right? So you can't get through at some point. But if you have your eye on the peripheral and you're like, okay, you know, what? let me take this lane. At some point, it's going to merge back into where you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So I think always looking for those uh, those peripheral doors or lanes, if you will, like I think that is, a, for me, at least for me, that's a game changer. Because I, like I said, I always was kind of a master, ma- you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But that's why I'm still here. You know, because I've, I've kind of I've kind of kept my my scope wide as opposed to so many friends that are like, I am only going to write for Justin Bieber for six months. And then what are your odds that you're going to land that? I'm not right. saying, you can't, but it's the odds are very it's a small it's a huge you know, it's, it's, it's a small pool of people that are actually working producers, writers, but mm-hmm. it's so controlled. You know, the odds of landing those is like winning the lottery. So. You know, I'd much rather have a wide scope and go, all right, cool. This week, I'm going to work on some J-pop. Next week, I'm working on some K-pop. This week, I'm doing some EDM stuff. This mm-hmm. week, I'm going to work on an indie project. This week, I'm going to develop an artist I, I feel passionate about. You know, I think I think keeping it, and it keeps it fresh for me, and I don't get burnt out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that in the sense of artists nowadays have to do that in the sense of everything else that they're involved with. Like, now you don't have, a, you don't need a videographer guy or, uh, you know, you need to know how to do everything, right? Yourself. It's like, yeah. I have to know how to self-promote. I have to know how to be my own social media manager and my own booker. And like, like there's so many different levels and there's so many people that used to kind of be involved in the, it's not like you're not signing Aerosmith and they're not just like, okay, I have like a hundred people working for me and I don't have to do anything anymore. Now the artists really have to work harder than ever before. Agreed. Agreed. That's, it's just such a different, different time period. Uh, When you, Mm -hmm. when you said, are you working with, you said you're working with other artists. Is that something that, you know, you're continuing to do? Yeah, it's it's tough to find artists to develop. You know, that, that's the hardest thing, I think, because for me, the boxes have to be checked. I've kind of found a lot in the past that I've wanted it for the artist more than they've wanted it. And that doesn't work. The artist has to want it more than the person who's who's mentoring them and, and what if it's managing or developing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have any, I have a couple of artists that I work with right now that I'm that that I love. Um, but you know, it's 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 hard to find them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's very hard to find them because the work ethic is the hardest thing to find, I think. Sure. Know? Yeah, I could, I could see that for sure. And with, with your own stuff, like your own record, do you have, like, I mean, 15 minutes is, is it going to be a part of a bigger project? Like, what do you have uh, planned? Um, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a singles driven, you know, kind of world we live in right now. Sure. Um, we'll see. I mean, for right now, every, I'm just kind of moving single by single. So 15 minutes is the current single. And then on September 10th, I already actually have another single coming uh, oh, called, awesome. Paint, called, called Paint the Sky, um, which is featuring uh, a vocalist named Paulina Grace out of Vancouver, who's who's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry, Montreal, who's just an amazing kind of soulful emo kind of tone to her voice. It's a little more of a festival kind of feeling, you know, very feel good, euphoric kind of festival record, mm-hmm. just because I need to keep records that I can also play in my in my live sets. OK. And do you have any live sets coming up? We'll see. I mean, everything it's it's so hard because 
you know, a lot of the festivals and things that are happening, it's it's all stuff that was canceled from COVID. So I know, I'm, which is I'm, weird. I'm low in the packing order because everybody else has already established and they're like, oh, sorry, we canceled on you last year. We're going to book you for this one. But, you know, I think it's just a, it's, 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 an, it's just a matter of time. You know, do you I mean? think that's so, weird? With, I mean, for me, I'm looking at festival lineups and being like some of these artists, like it's only been a year and a half and they feel like dated. Like not dated in the sense, but like you look at a festival lineup. Like if I saw like a Coachella lineup, I would expect like Olivia Rodrigo to be like one of the headliners now because mm-hmm. like she's the hot thing right, right. now, and right. you don't see that. And now she she's got to wait her turn right now, and hopefully exactly. she'll still stay relevant in a year and a half yep. from now, which yep. is yep. crazy to think too. I know, isn't that insane? Yeah, I mean, there's very few that can stand the test of time. You know what I mean? It's like, that's that's why, like I said, for me as a producer and a writer, especially, I'm just thankful that it's been 20 years and I'm still sitting here talking about this and and able to open up new opportunities. And, you know, but I think I also, I, I hate to say it, but I also think that's a state of mind too. Like, I think some people think they hit a certain point. If things aren't, if they're not exactly where they want to be, they just give up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen so many of my friends do that. Oh, I'm just going to go into real estate. I'm just going to go, you know, uh, what, what? I'm just going to go get a day job. And I'm like, but if this is what you really love to do, stick it out. You know what I mean? Like see it through. I mean, even I understand if you have a family, you have to support them, whatever, get a part-time thing and do that. But if you really love it, I feel like I've never really given myself a, a plan B to be honest with you. I have not. I, mm-hmm. I would rather struggle. You know, I would rather struggle and do what I love. You know, I love that. I've heard that. I've heard people say that if you have a plan B, if you have a backup plan, you will fall back on it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so it's amazing. Well, Damon, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you oh, doing you this today. This has been awesome. Um, before you. I let you go, I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. I know you've been spouting so much advice, but <laughs> I'd love to have um, yeah, a condensed I mean, down for earth. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I, the, yeah, I mean, the one thing I always tell people is, you know, just just dive in. You know what I mean? We're in such a DIY world now. You can, you can, you can dive in and just start chasing it and use the, use the internet as a resource, like reach out to people that inspire you. And, you know, I'm not saying everybody's going to respond, but sometimes you reach out to 10 people, somebody might just might get back to you. You know what I mean? And, and again, like I said, not to, not to sound like a broken record, but I'm always just a huge fan of, of, you know, don't let the no's deter you you know, cause with every no, you're that much closer to a yes. So it's like, I've, I myself personally always think people are like, Oh, well, if the, if the doors, if you're knocking on the door and it's not the one for you, then move to another one. I'm like, no, I'm going to kick the door in. Like I'm going to make it happen. If this is the thing I want to go through. So I think it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, for me, it's all about work ethic too. Like, I think as long as people have work ethic, like work ethic trumps talent, in my opinion, like that's why people are like, I can't understand why this guy's number one on the charts and he sucks. You're like, because he probably outworked everybody else. You know what I mean? And the more you work, the more rooms you get into, the more opportunities. They're like, oh, he was lucky. Yeah, but not really, because what luck is when preparation meets op- uh, op- op- when preparation meets opportunity. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're in the right room and you've knocked on enough doors and you're prepared, you're the one that's going to get the opportunity, not somebody else who's way more talented sitting at home, not doing anything with their with their art. I love that. I've never heard that before. If I'm not going to knock on the next door. I'm just going to kick that one in. That's so good. <laughs> even, even, and we probably have to cut off, but even from, a, you know, I always tell people like there's a lot of gatekeepers. So sometimes when I want to get to certain artists, if the management says no, I'll go to the A&R. If the A&R says no, I'll find out who their PR is. I'll reach out to the PR. If the PR says no, I'll find out who their assistant is. I mean, there's just so many routes to go. And I think too many people get deterred too easily. And mm-hmm. I've seen things manifest 
because of that, you know, just, just, just going, okay. Oh, thank you. Respectfully. Thank you for your no. And then you go around and find somebody, you know, why not? What does it hurt? At some point, maybe, yeah, you might get 10 no's and then you're like, okay, it's time to move on. But if it's one or two no's, and that's something that you wholeheartedly feel like a song is perfect, or if you feel like a label is perfect for you as an artist, keep, keep banging on it, you know what I mean? 